Uniform from the sermon series, Community, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Last Sunday we started this series and you saw what Doug had to say. It's, it's a series called Community. And there is no community unless you and I fully are convinced that Christian community is so unique, so different and special than communities that are found outside of the church. It really is. And I think we, we discovered last Sunday that Christian community is so unique because of what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection. Uh, he brings us together in unity. And that's a key component to Christian community that we don't have outside of the church, is that we have the ability to have unity with each other because it's not about trying to get along. That's important, but it's really about what Christ has already done. He's destroyed the walls of hostility that usually separates us and he brings us together. And we talked about that last Sunday. Today, as Wesley so beautifully shared, uh, today we're going to focus on Colossians 3. And Paul talks a lot about, and he uses this phrase, put on new clothes. Put on new clothes, but in order to do that, you got to take off your old clothes first. Right? He's talking about our old nature. Clothes is really the nature. He's saying that every single one of us has an old nature, and that's our brokenness. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. But he says that for, in order for us to engage in Christian community or in any type of community where we really want God to work in it, we have to consciously take off our clothes, our old clothes, and put on this new clothes that God has gifted. God has brought us this through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a gift. He gives us this new clothes that we get to put on, as Wesley so beautifully says, made in heaven. And we have to be willing to do that consciously because if we can't do that, we are never going to be able to live in Christian community. We're going to talk about that. When we can put this new clothes on, it changes us in every way. It really does. Back in, in the day when I was growing up, uh, my parents, uh, we just didn't have enough money to go to malls and buy clothes. So you know where my mom would take me and my sisters to go shopping? We went to West New York, and we shopped at discounted stores. And for guys, it doesn't really matter more much about what you wear, like shirt or pants or things like that. What really matters for us and what kids look at in school, at least for my school, was your sneakers. That was important. Do you know where my mom brought me my sneakers back in the day? ShopRite. You're like, no, they don't sell sneakers in ShopRite. Oh, no, they did in the 80s. They sold sneakers at ShopRite. They did. My mother would buy me sneakers at ShopRite, and they were hideous. They were horrible. It didn't even have rubber soles. It had plastic soles. And so whenever I would run around like in a cafeteria like this, I couldn't even turn because I'd slip and fall down all the time. I wasn't my true self. I couldn't really run and, and do things. And then the kids would look at my shoes at school, and they would make fun of me. In sixth grade, I begged my mom. I said, Mom, please, can you spend some money? Can I get some name brand sneakers? Because the kids are making fun of me. So she said, okay. She took me to West New York. All right? And they actually, <laughs> we didn't go to the mall. We went to West New York. But they actually have good sneaker stores at West New York. And so we went there. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. She spent $55 on a pair of sneakers for me. That was a lot of money back then, right? And she got me a pair of basketball shoes, navy blue, New Balance. It was beautiful. I got it. I remember just putting it on. It just felt so good. She brought it for me. I was so happy. I wore those sneakers the next day. Man, and you should have seen the kind of walk I had when I went to school. I walked with like a strut. Like I had these beautiful sneakers on. The kids would look at me and they're like, yo, those are some nice sneakers. And I just remember thinking, yeah, I know they're nice sneakers. 
And, and because they're like, New Balance didn't really make a lot of basketball sneakers that, way, that much back then. So some of my friends were like, hey, where did you get those? I've never seen those before. And I was like, yeah, they're, they're a rare collection. They're a rare edition. It's hard. They don't sell these at the mall. They sell them at West New York, but they don't sell them at the malls. I felt like a new person. I never, ever thought once, once I got those sneakers, hey, let me put my old ShopRite sneakers back on. I threw those things away. I never even looked at them anymore. And I always kept these new ones on. Why do we revert? Because if you're a Christian, you have put on the new self. You have put on these new clothes. Why are you so quick to taking it off and wearing this old, junky, nasty clothes that you and I were born with? How do we take off the old self? How do we put on the new self is what I want to talk to you about today. And I hope that as you hear this, really, because for some of you, I think when you think about your relational capital, it's sorry today. You don't have any relational. You might have some capital in your bank account, but relationally, you have nothing. And it's probably because you're engaging in those relationships with your old self. You got to take it off and you got to put on this new nature that God has gifted to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we take off the old self, put on the new self? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 10 through 17. Colossians 3, verses 10 through 17. Here's what Paul says. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so God, we come to you today. Help us to unpack this passage. So God, that it really teaches us how we can take off this old self and never, ever desire to want to put it back on again. Help us to leave our new selves on all the time. And as we do that, may we be able to engage in Christian community, God, where you would truly unify us, God, and allow us to truly grow in deep relationships so, God, that not only would we leave, live our lives having some people that we know who care about us, but, God, that you would give us the courage and the boldness to live our lives knowing, God, that we are people that have no secrets, that we have some people in our lives that know everything about us. And so God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray God that it would be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Let me give you a little background to Colossians. Paul writes this letter while he's in prison. He didn't plant the church of Colossae. In fact, Epaphras is the one who planted the church in Colossae. So Paul never met the congregation there. But when Epaphras visited him in prison, he shared with Paul 
the community. He shared with him the challenges that they were facing as a community. He was sharing with Paul the temptations that the community was facing. And so as a result of that, Paul writes this letter to the church of Colossae and he's challenging them about this idea that because God has sent Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross and resurrect from the dead, that he has given us this new nature that you and I have to put on, that we have to take off our old self first and we gotta put on this new nature, that if we're ever gonna walk forward in this Christian life with God, particularly with people side by side in our lives, we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to take off the old nature and put on this new nature. And so if we don't do that, Paul says that we're not going to be able to live our lives for God. What is this old nature that Paul is talking about? What specifically is this old nature that Paul is talking about? He outlines it in verses 5 through 9, if we can just jump there. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Colossians 3, 5 through 9. He says, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. You see, you and I can never experience true Christian community. We cannot live in Christian community if we're constantly lusting after each other. If we're constantly being greedy towards one another. If we have these evil desires, if we're lying to each other, if we have anger towards each other, if some of us have rage towards each other, when we're constantly thinking about bad behaviors when it comes to having relations with people in this church, cursing people, slandering them, it destroys our relationship. This is the old nature, and this is the reason why it's so difficult for us to find Christian community. For a lot of us, we want to find Christian community in the church, and, and, and the church is the place to really experience it, but we're not going to find it unless you and I are consciously taking off this old self and putting on this new nature that Paul talks about in Colossians 3, that we have to be willing to do that. And if we don't do that, then we're never going to experience community. No matter how much fun we really have, we could have a lot of fun, we're not going to experience true joy. And so Christian community happens when you and I are consciously taking off our old self and putting on our new self. That is what Christian community is about. So how do we do it? How do we take off our old self and how do we put on our new selves? You ready for this? I got three things for you that Paul talks about. The first one is this. We take off our old self and put on our new self when we believe that God chose us. You have to believe that God chose you. All right, look at what Paul says in verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with, t- with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want you to know God chose you first. You didn't choose God first. God chose you. Yes, you had to say yes to Jesus. You had to have made that choice. But please understand that you were only able to make that choice because God chose you first. Amen. God chose you first. What did he choose you for? He chose you to be his holy people. Think about that for just one second. Just download that powerful truth. God didn't just choose you so you can go to heaven one day. He chose you so that you could walk on this earth to be his holy people. Now, some of you are like, what? I'm not that holy, Peter. I know you're not that holy. God knows you're not that holy. But it's not about you. 
Your holiness is not defined about what you do, what you don't do. Your holiness is given to us. We are holy because what Christ has done for us. That's what makes you and I holy. It's not about what you do, what you don't do, although some of us would really like to believe that to be true, particularly when your output is really good, particularly when you're following Jesus really hard. You feel more holy, don't you? It has nothing to do with that. That should just help you to get deeper, more connected with God. You are holy because Christ has brought this, created a position through his death and resurrection so that you and I can go before God and when God sees you, he doesn't necessarily see you or what you do, what you don't do. He sees Jesus Christ living inside of you. God chose you. You didn't choose God. So if you want to put on this new nature, you got to come to that reality. So for some of us, that's sobering. For some of us, we're like, hallelujah, a lot of pressure off my back. But for some of you, like, I'm working hard, man. Man, I just fasted during the two weeks of prayer and fasting. I'm doing some hard stuff. You're saying none of that contributes to my holiness? It doesn't. Jesus Christ is what makes you and I holy. And I just want you to know something. If you can download that information, not just from here, but to your heart, it should break you, man. God chose you to be holy, not because he thinks you're capable of being holy. He chose you to be holy because he loves you. That should break you, man. When was the last time God really broke you like that? Because are you just like a spoiled saint thinking that you deserve everything? Because when you really think about what Paul is saying here, he's saying that he chose you to be his holy people. And when that happens is that when you realize that, you're putting on this new self, saying thank you. And when you know that there's nothing you can do that makes you holy, it's everything that Christ has done, then you're going to be able to extend mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love towards one another. Then you're going to be able to forgive each other and just look at and grow in this depth of understanding where you're going to understand each other's brokenness. And you're going to be able to forgive one another. That's the new nature. Because when you realize that God chose you as his holy people, even though you're not very holy and I'm not very holy, it should break you to a point where you're so broken where you now want to extend that kind of mercy, gentleness, patience, humility, kindness, and love towards other people. Does that make sense? So it's not about what you do necessarily. It's about how you accept to understand this powerful truth. Do you believe that God chose you to be his holy people? Do you really believe that? Because if you do, it should just break you today. It should destroy you. You should thank God for his love, his grace, and his mercy upon your life. You know, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. Uh, physical abuse was present in my home. Verbal, emotional abuse, all of that stuff. A lot of you know the story if you've been here for a while. I remember I would go to places like Great Adventure, right, or I'd go to like the mall, and whenever I would see like a family together, whenever I saw like a father like just playing with their kid and maybe taking their son and throwing him up on his shoulder and like the kid is like laughing and, and he's trying to scare him and he's like twirling the kid around like this and, and like doing that and they're just having so much fun. For me, because I grew up in a dysfunctional family, I saw that and I said, I wish I was a part of that family. I wish that was my father. I always said that. And Metro, I think what Paul wants you and I to see is this. When we really believe that God chose us to be his holy people, it should break us to the point where now we congregate and we are able to live in community with each other where we can express and show mercy, gentleness, patience, kindness, love, and forgiveness towards each other. When we're able to do that in this church and in this community, you know what's going to happen to people on the outside when they see what we're doing? They're going to say, I wish I could be a part of that family. 
I want to be a part. I want some of that in my life. You cannot sit here and tell me that the world can find that kind of community. They can. It's impossible. I've said this many times here before. Harvard did a study many years ago, and it's got to be worse now because of the pandemic. 90% of men living in America say that they're utterly lonely. And we know that through this pandemic, mental illness has gone up even more. Do you know what those are symptoms of? Those are all symptoms, many times, of lack of community. Because you and I were formed and created to be in relationship with each other under God to express that type of gentleness and mercy and patience and love and kindness towards one another. And when we're not in those kinds of communities, we get so lonely. And the older you get, I'm telling you, I'm almost 50, the older you get, the harder it is to live in community. And so would you know that God chose you today? You did nothing to choose God. God chose you first to be his holy people. Would, that, would you let that break you? So that when you let that break you, that you would be able to show love and kindness and mercy and gentleness and forgiveness towards other people. That's how you put on this new clothes, to know that God chose you first. Second, in order for us to put on this new clothes, we got to take off our old one first, but put on our new one. How do we do it? We let the message about Christ fill our lives. You got to let the message of Jesus just fill your lives. Verse 16. Here's what Paul says verbatim. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with a thankful heart. The key is, not, once you get to the reality and believe that God has chosen you first to be his holy people, then you just got to let the message of Christ just permeate and fill your lives. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. The message of Jesus Christ has to fill your lives. How do we do that? How do we let the message of Jesus Christ really fill our lives? Because that's key. It's hard for us, isn't it? Like I think on Sundays, the message of Jesus does fill our lives. But then sometimes we go, we wake up tomorrow, we head into work or we go into school. The message of Christ, does it really fill our lives? How do we really do that? Right? How do we really do that? Here, here's what it is. At the end of the day, and, I, and I'll bring it up for second service, you got to get into the Bible. The Bible is the message of Jesus Christ. Amen. I am so, I am honestly, I am so nervous about the church for the future, for the young generation, because we have such a low view of scripture, and because the view of scripture is like at the basement level of our lives, we let the world determine what we should value. We let the world determine what we think is just and not just. And that's a really scary place to be because the world is not the place where you can find the message of Jesus Christ and allow that to fill your lives. It's actually the word of God. And so we have to dedicate ourselves to get to really know the word of God. And I'm telling you, the best way to hear the message of Jesus Christ, the best way for you to hear God speak to you is actually through the Bible, man. Listen, I was in a monastery this week. I spent 24 hours in a monastery, and, and I, get I love being quiet. I love praying. Those are all the things. But I'm telling you right now, the times I hear God the most, the most powerful times I hear from him is actually through his word. That when I'm actually reading his word, God will speak to me at the monastery, wherever I am, even this morning. I read Psalms 112, and, and I, read, I must have read that Psalms 112. I pray Psalms 112. But for some reason, I felt like I'm reading it for the very first time. Because you know what it said in Psalms 112? It says that godly people are generous, are righteous, 
and are kind. And I remember just seeing that. I was like, well, you know what? God, I want to be, I want to be that. Can I represent those three things? Can I be generous? Can I be righteous and not right? Can I be kind? And then it says this, if you read uh, Psalms 112, it says that uh, righteous people, they don't fear bad news because they know God's going to take care of them. I long to be righteous, not so that you think I'm holy. I long to be righteous because the world is filled with bad news. And I don't want to fear that anymore because I know God is my provider. You see, I needed to hear that today. Some of you need to hear the message of Jesus Christ, but you're not doing that because you're not letting the word of God really impact your life. And I'm, I, I, like Peace Cruzero says this all the time, stop living off the spiritualities of other people. That's a secondhand faith. The only time you get in the word is when you're hearing me preach about it or somebody preaching about it. That's secondhand spirituality. Nurture it yourself. Let God speak to you through the word. Right? Now, Paul gives us two suggestions in how we can let that message or the Bible, or the message of Jesus Christ to fill our lives. Here's the first thing he says. He says we are to teach and counsel the message of Jesus Christ to other people. That's what he's saying. Teach or counsel other people the message of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. All right? And that's a key component here. You are to teach this message. So let me just encourage you that for some of us here, I want to encourage you to think about teaching. Teaching what God is speaking to you about. That means you can be, you don't have to like, you know, connect with somebody and say, hey, I want to share with you what God taught me this morning. It's kind of weird. But there might be something that somebody shares with you about a situation that they're going through. And you can just say, you know what? I just want you to know, like, I've read something recently and I've just been growing. I just sense that God's been sharing this with me and I want to just share it with you. That's a beautiful thing. Maybe you should think about joining a children's ministry and teach the word of God. Maybe you should think about joining, uh, you know, uh, a youth ministry and teaching the word of God. You know, you can do things like that. Maybe joining a small group and you can teach the word of God in that way. Like to a little kid like that. Look at him. He wants the word so bad he wants to come up to the stage. He can't get enough of this word of God, right? Maybe that's how we do it. But really it's this. My, my son, he plays competitive baseball. And you know what his coach said to me once, his hitting coach? He said, Peter, Christian is good, but if you really want him to master hitting, he needs to teach young kids how to hit. Because when you can teach other people what to do, that's when you master something. And so please, if you want to grow, if you want the message of Jesus to fill your lives, teach it. Teach it. Teach it. I love what New City kids are doing. They're raising up these older high school kids. They're employing them, and then they're teaching it to the younger kids, teaching them how to be responsible, teaching them math, English, music about Jesus. Teach it, because when you can teach it, you master it. The message of God fills your life. Paul says the message of Christ is rich. It is so rich. The other thing he says is that you have to counsel. So it's teaching and counsel. So what does it mean? It doesn't mean that you have to now be a counselor. But what I think counsel really means is that when you connect with people, you should like let your life speak. And one of the things about counsel that I want to hit on is this. The best way in how you can counsel one another is to be vulnerable. To truly be vulnerable with each other in community. Now all of you may not be able to teach. You may not decide to do that. But you know what I hope we can all do as a church? Is to be vulnerable. Because Jesus says that when you are weak, vulnerability is to be weak. When you are weak, my strength is perfected in you. And so that you would learn to be vulnerable in community. Because when you can learn to do that, you are teaching people in this church, outside of this church, that vulnerability is a real important aspect. 
that you're being real because the world is all about putting on different masks, putting on fake clothes that's not, that doesn't fit you and just go out and pretend to be somebody that you're not. Man, you should be sick and tired of living that kind of life. I love what that young lady said here when she got up. She goes, God encouraged me to just be who I am. That's it. That you can do that and not be afraid to expose even your warts and all. You know, that's why we... That's why when we come up here as a, on Sundays, I'll share all the preachers that come up here. We always share vulnerable stuff. You think we like doing that stuff? No, I hate it. But part of this is that we have to be able to show that part of how we counsel each other is through vulnerability. Because when we're weak, Christ's strength is perfected in us. Started this podcast back in February called Weak Pastor. It's all about vulnerability. It's all about how we can be vulnerable. And as pastors and leaders, we have to learn to be honest and vulnerable. And if we can do that, we can truly tap into the power of Jesus Christ in that way, to be perfected in our weakness. And so that's a key thing, teaching and counseling. But then the other thing he says in how we can let the message fill our lives is that he says we are to sing and worship God with hymns and psalms. You guys have to worship. You have to like worshiping because when you can sing songs to God, the message of Jesus fills your life. Last Sunday, Easter, I mean, it was lit, wasn't it? My kids told me never to say that word, lit. I don't care. I'm going to say it. It was lit. All right? It was so lit. Today, having these young kids come up here, lead us in worship, so lit. Like they're so sold out for it. All right, I'll stop saying it. It was just awesome. Right? It was just awesome. We need to sing of God's praises. That's why you got to get here early and prepare your hearts to worship God. What do you think? You think we're, you're singing songs here on Sundays to just warm you up for the message? Like you think this is like a, like a tune-up before the real thing? No. We sing these songs so that the message of Jesus can fill your lives. You don't have to have a good voice. It's not about you singing well. It's about you just worshiping. Just shout then. Some of you are like, well, you know what? I don't like worshiping. Listen, if you're not worshiping God, you're definitely worshiping someone else or something else. We're all created to worship. I know that for sure. I am 100% convinced every single one of us on this planet, if we're not worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping something else. You know how I know that? Years ago, I saw an ESPN update on these kids College kids from Yale. Now, Yale is supposed to be some of the brightest kids in the country, right? These college kids, they watched their team play football. 15 degrees. They were topless. They had paint on them, blue paint. And they were worshiping their team. These are some of the brightest kids in this country. That team stinks. <laughs> it was just one. They weren't playing for a championship. But yet they were willing they were willing to go past even their own reasoning, go out topless 15 degrees, paint themselves, and cheer for a team that's not very good. Why? Because the message of Yale has filled their lives. Whatever message fills your lives, you worship that message. Worship Jesus. Let the message of Jesus fill your lives. When that happens, you will worship him in spirit and in truth. Give all of yourself. I hope. Like, I want to encourage you, when you worship God, one of the best things you can do is just raise your hands. Because that means you're surrendering yourself to Jesus' lordship in your life. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I hope that you can, all right? Let the message of Christ fill your lives. Teach 
God's word, counsel through vulnerability, worship, sing with all your heart. Paul says when you do that, the message of Christ fills your life. That is putting on your new self. So it's this idea of believing God chose you, yeah, but then let the message fill your lives. The last thing he says in order to take off our old self and put on our new self is that we are to be thankful in every season. Be thankful in every season. Verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We are to give thanks in all situations. The old self is never thankful. And when you can't be thankful, you're not going to be able to congregate and live in Christian communities. It's going to be impossible. Because when you don't have that thankful heart, then many times you're going to complain and get upset and, and, and not be in a place where you're really thankful. But Christians who put on their new self, they're always thankful. Why? Because they know that God chose them first. They know that. They know that God loved them so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for them and resurrect from the dead. And because of that, no matter what happens in our, in our lives, we can be thankful. We can always, always be thankful. Listen, Metro, hear me on this. You are so much more than the bad things that are happening in your life. You get that? You are so much more than the bad things that are happening in your life. You are so much more than the summation of all the bad things that has happened in your life. You are so much more than that. Why are you only focusing on the bad things? Can't you look at the things that God has done already in your life? You and I can be thankful for so many things. We have to grow and 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 allow ourselves to grow in cultivating a deeper and a more thankful heart. When was the last time you were truly thankful to God? When was the last time you, were, you, were, you went over to God and said, thank you for the things that you've done in my life? Every day, can you wake up before you wake up, before you start your day and, and before you go to sleep? Can you just be thankful for three things? Like try that this week and see how your life changes. Wake up in the morning, thank God for three things, and before you go to bed... Thank God for three things. Let God shape you. Grow a heart of thankfulness because when you and I have a thankful heart, we truly have put on our new selves. Man, I've met people who have nothing, who've lost everything, who should not be thankful, and yet they have a thankful heart. And I wonder, and I scratch my head, and I wonder, how is that even possible? It's because they put on their new selves. They've actually put on their new selves. And so I know there's things going on. I know for some of you, you've lost a lot of things. I know you've lost a lot of things during the pandemic. You've lost loved ones. You've lost a job. Some of you have lost a marriage. You've lost your children as a result of the pandemic because they can't stand you anymore. You've lost some close friends. You've lost your sense of security and comfort. You've lost a lot. Yes, you have to grieve those things. I firmly, because when you read the Psalms, before there's thankfulness, there's a lot of grieving that needs to happen. So some of us, we need to grieve. Really happy to announce, we don't have the dates yet, but we're gonna start a grieving group. We're actually gonna hire a professional to come in and to lead our church to grieve because so many of us need to grieve. You can't be thankful until you first really grieve. God meets you at your Gethsemane. And so we have to grieve so that we can be thankful. But you got to get there. Because when you cannot be thankful, even after you grieve and you cannot be thankful, you're not putting on your new self. 
And you can certainly never hang out with people in this church and build Christian community. People who can't be thankful and they don't live a thankful life, what they usually do, one of the symptoms is that a lack of thankfulness creates a huge eye of judgment towards one another. We always look at, we try to find the faults of other people. And when you enter into relationships like that in the church, that's your old self-talking. Because Paul says we ought to be understanding towards each other and make allowances for each other's faults and just forgive each other. That's our new nature. We got to be thankful. I want to encourage you in every situation that you might be in, you have to be thankful. Back in April, uh, the first Sunday of April, our church celebrated our 18-year anniversary. And, uh, you know, the problem with, I, I got to do better because we don't really celebrate our anniversary because uh, it's usually right up against Easter. And so because we're focusing on Easter, we often, like, downplay our anniversary. But 18 years, that's a long time for a church. Not, I know there are churches that are a lot older than us. But I feel like 18 years is a milestone. Because when I think about where we are today, and I think about when we first started, we have really come a long, long way. I mean, when I started this church, I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't know. And I still really don't know what I'm doing. But at least I've had 18 years to kind of learn from my mistakes and learn from some people. But God has really done some amazing things over the past 18 years in this church. He really has. But when I think about the beginning days of this church, some people would ask me, you know, like in the beginning, some people would say, Peter, why, why are you starting a church? Because there's so many churches in this area. Why do you need to start a church? People would say that. When I started this church, I really started it for one reason and one reason alone. I started it for my sister Susan. I started it because I wanted my sister Susan to, to be able to come to a place like Metro. And she could be welcomed here. My sister Susan is my second oldest sister. She's two years older than me. And um, when we were a lot younger, we were little kids, we started going to church. And for some reason, she was the only one in our family that just downloaded, like, God's spirit and his love and his mercy much quicker than anyone else. And so she, like, would remind us to pray before we would eat. She would remind us to pray, like, even before we go to bed. And we'd always wonder, like, how, how are you getting all of this? And my parents would often marvel at her, like, her young faith in God. But you know, Susan grew up with a learning disability. And as she got older, her learning disabilities became a lot more prevalent. And once that began to happen, you guys know in the Korean culture, if you have a learning disability, you might as well be invisible. You won't be seen by our people. And uh, so as she, you know, my sister it doesn't even fit the mold. Do we have a picture? There she is. She doesn't even fit the mold of a Korean woman. She's five feet, 11 and a half inches tall. She's big. All right? She's tough. My sister lives in the Marcy Projects in Brooklyn. She's like the only Asian woman that lives in those buildings. Nobody messes with her. She's big. And she doesn't take crap from anyone. In seminary, I had to write a paper. And this is how the vision of Metro came. I had to write a paper for uh, my class. It was, it was a class on family therapy. And we had to write the spiritual journeys of each of our family members. I got to my sister Susan, and I started getting angry. I started thinking about what the church did and why she doesn't go to church anymore, why she's not a Christian. Because when we were part of a Korean church, what happened many times is that my sister, she longed for relationships. She would try to sit down with some of the girls, and she would sit and try to talk with them. And they just tried to tolerate her for a few minutes, and then they would get up and they'd walk away, and she'd sit by herself. That's what would happen. My sister Susan would also try to call them on the phone. And she would try to call them and talk with them and just say, hey, how you doing? And they would talk to her, but then they would say, hey, Susan, you know what? We're busy. Uh, you know, I'll call you right. I'll call you back. They never called her back. 
And so you know what happened eventually, like way down the line? My sister Susan stopped going to youth group. And you know what ministry she really immersed herself into? Children's ministry. Children accepted her. The children loved her. That's why Jesus says, if you want to have the greatest faith, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be like a little child. So she always found herself there. And I'm just writing about that. And I just, I just got so angry at the church, at the Korean church. And I said, man, I can't believe because of them that, you know, that my sister's not a Christian today. And it was at that moment, I was in the library writing this paper. God said, well, another reason why your sister is not a follower of Jesus today is because of you. It's because you never really accepted her either. You never wanted her to go to church with you. And I didn't. She embarrassed me when she went to church. She would embarrass me because nobody wanted to hang out with her. So I felt like I had to be with her and I couldn't hang out with my friends. So I always had to be around her because nobody wanted to hang out with her. And then I don't know why, but every time we were in youth group uh, services, the youth pastor would always call on her to read a scripture. And every time she would read it, she struggled through it, and I had to help her with it. And I didn't want the kids to think I also had a learning disability. And so whenever she said she didn't want to go to church, I was actually relieved. And when God showed me that, oh, man, I was, I was at this library, and I was just weeping, and it just broke my heart. That the reason why, one of the reasons why my sister isn't a Christian today isn't just because of the kids at church, but it's because of me. I remember just calling her up and I said, would you please forgive me for everything that I've done? I was the worst representation of, of who God is supposed to be. And, you know, my sister's got a heart. She's like, of course I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. And that's how the vision of this church came about. That the vision of this church is that we would be such a community that we can come together and that somebody like my sister or my nephew, her oldest son, who's now 22 years old, Pedro, who is autistic, they could come here and they can have a home. That my sister Susan would be able to be friends with somebody like Pastor Sunita who went to Harvard Law. And that somebody like Sunita's educational pedigree would be able to say, you know what, I have something to learn. We have something to learn from you. Why don't we lead a small group together? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what a Christian community should be? And that we wouldn't look at the special needs community and say, how can we better tolerate these kids? But that we would look at them as, as, as fully devoted members of our church and love on them the way they should be loved upon. And that we would let them love on us as well. That that's what church is about. That is what this community is about. But we have to be willing to get there. You can't do it with your old nature. I've tried it. I even hurt my own sister because of it. We have to be willing to put on our new nature, clothe ourselves with that, know that God chose you. You didn't choose God first. God chose you. And that you will let the message of Jesus fill your lives in every way. That you would begin to teach it to other people. You would begin to be vulnerable to other people. And they'll be able to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then you'll be able to come and you'll be able to worship your God because you see how big he is in your life. And when you come here, you just worship him in spirit and in truth. And no matter what happens in your life, how difficult it gets, you'll always be thankful. Man, why do you always blame God for stuff? When we live in a broken, sinful world, when he's already given you Jesus Christ, why are you always complaining? Can you be thankful? Because when we can do these three things, we can truly be a community. We can be united. And so will you take off those clothes, those stinky, dirty old clothes that you were born with? And when you put on this new clothes that God has died 
for you and resurrect from the dead. That's your choice. And you cannot wear your new clothes over your old clothes. You've got to take it off. Otherwise, you're still going to reek and stink. Take off the old, put on the new. Let's pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you take off the old self right now and put on the new? Some of you need that so that we can continue to be a great community builder in this church. But some of you need to do that because you are hurting the people in your own home because you continue to try to relate to them with your old self. And I don't care how many years has gone by. It's never too late, Metro. It's never too late to put on this new self and to try. And so will you do that? Will you take off the old self and say, God, thank you for choosing me first to be holy. Let God break you with that truth. And when you let the message of Jesus fill your lives, Some of you maybe can't be thankful today, but will you still thank him? Because Jesus Christ has come. He's died on the cross and he's resurrected from the dead. And now he gives you this new clothes. I, feel, I just see a picture of Jesus trying to put a, a purple robe on each and every one of you. I just see that picture that he wants to put this purple robe on each and every one of you. And you gotta be willing to extend your arms and reach in and put your arms through the armhole. You let Jesus do that. Go to him, and I'll close us in prayer. God, I pray that you'll just be with every one of my brothers and sisters and I pray in faith that every single one of them said, I'm taking off my old self and I'm putting on the new. For those who've done that, God, I pray that they would be bold and God, that they would know that this new self, this, this thing that they've put on is, it's beautiful. They shouldn't try to hide it. Help them to be gentle. Help them to be compassionate. Help them to be merciful. Help them to be kind loving towards one another, that they would be willing to forgive each other and be okay with each other's faults. Be with our church. I thank you that you've provided for us for the past 18 years, but God, we got a ways to go. Be with us. I mean, we never want to put on the old self. Ever again, help us to keep the new self on, this new nature that has been brought through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I pray you'll be with our church. Guide us as we try to do this. I pray that you would guide New City Kids, that as they are a movement where they are ministering to these children with their new selves, I pray that you would continue to expand their territory. God, I that you'll just continue to watch over them in their ministry. So God, I pray you'll just be with our community. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We love you. 
And we're excited even now to sing some songs about you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.